Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is back in the building as promised at the end of the show last week. Uh, Adam Spinella is with child now. So Adam uh, is out momentarily and yeah he gets he gets paternity leave from the podcast as well that's the way this works here but Bryce is back with us there was another big trade that happened today it's fantastic we get these fun little moves happening across the league and Drew Holiday is now a Boston Celtic after being moved to the Portland Trail Blazers I assume that the reason for this and I kind of think I said this on the last podcast that the reason for this not being like a three-team deal or anything like that is the Bucks kept this very close to the vest and like needed to keep this very close to the vest. And then it just allowed Portland to get more teams involved without necessarily getting out that Drew Holiday was the main piece involved. So really, really interesting deal. Drew Holiday is going to the Boston Celtics for Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams III, two first round picks, very close to the deal. I wrote about from a Boston perspective in the athletic uh, on Friday afternoon, man, I came so close. I just had Peyton Pritchard in there and that was it. But what can you do? Sometimes you lose. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to shift to the Eastern conference hierarchy. We're going to talk about, you know, does Milwaukee or Boston profile a little bit better in the playoffs? We're going to do all of this from a playoff perspective as well, not necessarily from a regular season perspective. Uh, where does Philadelphia fit in? Where does Miami fit in? Where does everybody else fit in, etc.? And finally, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the NBL game I went to. I went to see Alex R again live, which was fun yesterday. And it turned into a Ben Henshaw show, Bryce Simon. Uh I went to see an Alex Sar show and a Ben Henshaw show broke out. So I can't be too disappointed. It was fun, even though uh, Perth got like absolutely obliterated in a really interesting way uh, that's worth talking about as well from Alex Sar's perspective. But let's start with the Boston Celtics and all of this trade machination that is occurring. From the Portland Trailblazers perspective now, they have acquired... DeAndre Ayton, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams III, Tumani Kamara, a 2024 Golden State Warriors first-round pick, a 2029 
first round pick from the Milwaukee Bucks, a 2029 first round pick from the Boston Celtics. Those two picks are unprotected and two Milwaukee Bucks pick swaps. If I told you that that is what this deal was going to be for the Portland Trailblazers for Damian Lillard, do you think that's a win for the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah, because I thought you were going to ask me if that was fair. And I was going to say that that would be too much. Like I I would say that they were not going to get that. So if I'm going to sit here and say, I don't, I wouldn't have thought they were going to get that. Then how can I not say that was a win? And I'm sure we'll talk about this. What does Malcolm Brogdon mean for the Blazers? What does Robert Williams III mean for the Blazers? You know, if it means something for them, I think they can get use out of those guys if they want to, or they can just continue playing this game. I feel like they're playing yeah. 2K. This is literally what I would do playing 2K, where <laughs> I would take the best player, I would trade him, you get these assets, then you trade those, then you get the next one, and you're like, I know this isn't realistic. This isn't how real NBA works, but that's what the Portland Trail Blazers are doing right now, and I'm here for it. So I, I, I do. I've I've listened to you, you know, your trade reaction episode, and I, I'm kind of with you, Sam. I'm I realize DeAndre Ayton makes a lot of money, but he's worth a flyer if nothing else. What can he do in this role? Hopefully, where he's happy and all of that. So you get a quality young player if nothing else it gives scoo a lob threat in the pick and roll and it gives them a backline defender and then you have another one in robert williams i think that's great for development of those guys sam i think the blazers are fascinating i think yeah they're really interesting i think they could be com- not competitive they could win some games for a little while if they wanted but then they also have guys they can flip they have assets I love the future asset route that they took. I actually prefer that. I like that. I don't know how you feel about it, but I kind of like that. So I think they really, I think they came out really well. I think they've come out really, really well here. Look, I know that when the initial trade went down and this is what I said on the show, like I get it that they, that Miami fans were like frustrated in some way because they think Tyler hero is worth more than he is league wide. Uh, and, and this comes from somebody, I think Tyler Hero's a good basketball player. And like, I don't ever want to like shit on Tyler Hero. I think he's going to average like 20 points a game this year and be like really, really valuable. It's just that his value league wide because of that four year, $120 million contract is nowhere near as valuable as Drew Holiday right now. Drew Holiday is a elite level. Pl- he's not an elite level playoff performer if you look at his numbers, but he is a winner that you can slot into any lineup and make it make sense. And oh, by the way, Drew Holiday, you know, did win an NBA title as the, I, I would argue probably the second best player on that team. Maybe it's between him and Chris. Like I, I don't really care to parse between the two, but I thought, I think Drew is like a super valuable player. And then you look at it from Boston's perspective. I think that they we're really smart to get him. I want to table that just for a minute, but what Portland was able to do here to flip the holiday asset into more assets, basically I think was really sharp. And you're looking at a deal now where you get Deandre Ayton, who's the super high upside center, who I think can be a top seven center in the NBA. Let's call it. I think he's going to be really valuable for Portland this year. I'm going to be a useful, you know, pick and roll partner in some respect for Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons. Screening needs to get better unequivocally, but I think that with him being 
more involved offensively, it will come probably with a little bit more consistent engagement from him in terms of the little things. So you get that guy and you get three firsts and two pick swaps, and you might have some recourse down the road to turn Brogdon into a first, to turn Rob Williams into a first. I think they did super, super well here. Well, do, do you want to have the conversation about what they could turn Rob Williams and Malcolm Brogdon into now, or do you want to have it later? No, can we stay on the Blazers? Because I'm also yeah. interested in because I was prepared. So last night I stayed up, Sam, and I did all this research on Drew Holiday trades, right? I went through all of them. And I also <laughs> was going to come on and I wasn't going to make the pitch to keep Drew Holiday, but I was going to ask you to have the conversation of should the Blazers just keep Drew Holiday for a little while? Wait until more players around the league were tradable on December 15th or whatever that date was. Let him take the primary matchups defensively so Scoot doesn't have to. We don't have to have that one, Sam. But I guess I want to have the same conversation about Brogdon and Robert Williams of, do you actually want to play these guys for a little while to let these young Blazers players have some good quality NBA guys around them? So with Drew, you couldn't keep him based on how you structured that trade. you, You had too much of your value assessment tied up in the Drew asset within that deal not to move him. And look, it was smart to have that much of your value, you know, tied up in Drew because Drew is a very valuable player league-wide as seen by the fact that he just got Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, and two first-round picks, right? So once they made that move, you couldn't then keep Drew because if you're doing a Damian Lillard deal, you need to set yourself up for the future. And you can't take the risk that Drew Holiday gets hurt in any way, shape, or form, given that he only has one year where he's guaranteed to be on your roster moving forward. Now, about Brogdon and Williams, I get what you're saying, and I think there is something to it. And I think there's a real conversation to be had about Rob Williams in that regard. To an extent, both of them are such injury question marks that I think you have to move them now if you're going to move them. Uh, If you want to keep Rob Williams and you want to have like a really nice compliment to DeAndre Ayton, I get that take. And I think that it's a conversation worth having and maybe we can have it. I would move Brogdon now personally. Uh, Look, I get it that, you know, it seems like the injury may be a little bit better. I think it's like an elbow injury, if I remember correctly. It's a tendon, right? Or a ligament in the elbow. was that? That's why the Clippers thing didn't happen right a partial tendon tear in the elbow is what i was able to find yeah so it's not really news this has been reported before by numerous numerous people the other thing with brogdon is the knees like that's why he fell in the draft uh what was that in 2014 15 whatever draft he was in um people around the league worry about his knees consistently, right? Uh, That's been reported before. Um, So you have that, you have the elbow thing. I think that like, there are just a lot of moving pieces with Brogdon where you probably want to cash in now, if you can, Uh, there are a number of teams that I think like the Clippers again, like should be involved trying to get Malcolm Brogdon. Like they were earlier this summer, right? Uh, the, The problem with the Clippers is they could move 30 and not really, fuck with their flexibility at all moving forward 
if they want Brogdon now and you want to move a first round pick from Malcolm Brogdon, and if you're the Clippers, you probably have to, given that all you really have is expiring salary to give up. You don't really want to move like a 2028 first for Brogdon, I don't think. And that's like, if I remember correctly, I think that might be their first one that's available. So it's, it's tricky. I think for them is, is my point, but you can come up with like a number of different interesting deals where it could be like, like could Orlando look at doing something like John Isaac, Chumo Kiki, and like some second rounders Uh, could, you know, Detroit try and get involved with some of their young guys could, could Chicago do something wild, like try to get off of the Lonzo ball deal and give up a like lightly protected first round pick. Cause they just, want to be rid of that contract it doesn't seem crazy to me um given that it seems like they want to compete and like try and win this year in some respect and that team was actually quite good when they had like a point guard that could do some things out there uh toronto obviously like you could do a chris boucher and thad young in a first steal if you want brogdon but again like all these teams i don't know that i i don't know that brogdon moves the needle enough for them, like to me, it almost the, the Clippers one, you know, makes some sense to me, but it's interesting to see what they're going to do now with Brogdon. Cause I, I think there are a number of teams that will want him. I just wonder how much they'll give up for him. Is Brogdon going to be more valuable when he's an actual expiring? Like, is that like, I just wonder you keep him you. And here's the other thing that plays into this, Sam I don't think the Blazers have any reason to like truly full out tank. I don't think any team in the NBA does this year. And this just goes to my opinion on this draft of there's not Victor Wimbenyama waiting at the number one pick. There's not even Scoot Henderson waiting at two or three, or I think we both agree he probably should have been the second pick, but that's another conversation for another day. We like some guys at the top, Sam, but yeah. if the, I think I said this last week, if the Blazers end up with the, fifth best odds worst odds however you want to say it i don't i'm not upset about that if i'm portland all you have to do is make sure you stay in the lottery because it's lottery protected from the bulls i also want to say i feel like the bulls are the ultimate i think we're gonna see we see two elite teams at the top sam and we'll get into this a little more i think the bulls are gonna talk themselves into hey we can go be the third best team in the east i think they're gonna talk themselves into it and they're gonna be the ultimate team like yeah, let's go get Malcolm Brogdon, and that's going to make us number three. The Sixers are going to decombust. I think it's the Cavs. Again, we'll have this conversation here in a little bit, a little deeper. I think the Bulls are the ultimate. We're going to go all in on it. And so I could see him maybe trying to get Brogdon. Yeah, and the Rob Williams piece of it's interesting too because I think that, like, you know, Rob Williams, another guy that has, like, struggled to stay on the court throughout his career – but also a guy that is a very good compliment to DeAndre Ayton moving forward and like allows you to have like real competency defensively in a way that is interesting. So look, I, I say all this to say, I don't know what they're going to do with Rob Williams. I, I think there's a real case for moving him. I think there's a real case for keeping him. I personally w- would probably move him just because of the injury factor. And you could just keep accumulating assets. Like if you're Dallas, Dallas should give up something for Robert Williams, like truly, right? Like that Dallas should do something like, you know, the Rashawn Holmes deal and Jaden Hardy or in like one other thing, right? I love Jaden Hardy so much. Don't make me pick. Don't make me comment on that one, Sam. I love He's good. Hardy. Like 
Jaden Hardy's really good. I, I think that it's like a it's a real asset for them. Like he's a first round pick asset, in my opinion, that they took in the second round. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you, you know, I think they really like Omax Prosper. It seems like they're going to try and start him in the preseason. But if you're Portland, like, do you say, hey, we'll give you Rob Williams, who is a defensive anchor for you, who will allow you to bring Derek Lively along more slowly? Could you could you do Omax and Rashawn Holmes for Robert Williams? Yeah, that's actually we talked like about, a really good deal across the board, right? And we felt like the Mavericks had good depth whenever we talked about them a couple weeks ago. You know, you talked about Josh Green, and so, so here's my question: the because my thought was play these guys with the young guys. You have to keep Jeremy Grant around for a little while anyway. So just be competitive as you can be. Again, I'm not saying they're like competitive, like in playoff contention is not what I'm saying, but win some games, let these young guys play with some veterans. Your counter to that, would your only reason for not doing that be the injury concerns with both? Because I could see a world where like, especially Robert Williams could become more valuable come the trade deadline. Because teams are always looking for a big man to protect. And he's on a great contract, Sam, in my opinion. You yeah. Know, 10 million, 11 million, 12, or 11, 12, 13, something like that. I, I guess that's where my mind was, but I completely understand the injury concerns because they get hurt, they lose all that value. And then now you just are stuck on those contracts with nothing. I completely get your point on Rob Williams. And I think there's a, ve- like Rob particularly, there's a very strong case for it. Okay. for keeping him S- someone brought up sacramento in the comments sacramento for rob williams i mean that's a fantastic idea it's just hard to make the money work like you would have to give up basically one of kevin herter malik Her. monk yep I think uh i mean you could do well i don't think you can actually you might be able to aggregate chris duarte like you could do like davion mitchell and chris duarte but like i don't know if they want to give up mitchell because mitchell is really valuable to their point of attack defense i I don't know if you can make the money work with sacramento because all their money is like kind of tied up but that's an interesting spot for rob in theory uh i don't think they have a trade exception that like really fits either because they had cap space this year so yeah it's you're right. Like maybe you do keep Rob until the deadline and like, you see what opens up. That's a real, really interesting idea too. Maybe Dallas becomes a little bit more desperate and like says, Hey, we'll do something like this for Rob at that point. There's a real, I think it's like a move Malcolm now move Rob later, maybe kind of thing. Well, but again, think, you run the risk of injury with Rob at that point. And like I said, that that makes complete sense. Like I completely understand that. I just continue to find myself kind of intrigued by just playing Scoot, Brogdon, Shaden Sharp, Jeremy Grant, DeAndre Ayton. Like you, there's worse starting lineups in the NBA than that starting lineup, and you still have Simon, Thibel, Murray, Robert Williams off the bench. And again, in a yeah. season where I wouldn't be worried about having the absolute worst record based off what we yeah. know about the draft class on October 1st, I would be okay with that. But again, I, it always goes back to, do you really want to play? You've done so well with this, in my opinion, as the Blazers, that do you really want to play with, with Like, just capitalize on all of it. Just stink and capitalize on it and see what you could do. If I'm them... I would try to get a pick in like 25, 26, 27. You know, you, you have 24 covered now. I know the Warriors pick is going to be later in the draft, but I think there's going to be some value there. You have what down the road you have covered. 
I would like to see him get something in the intermediary between those two. So Jet uh, brings up Brogdon to Houston. I love the idea, but to do that, it would have to involve the Kevin Porter deal, which I'm assuming is like the idea. And I guess you could do that. Really, the only way that that works is if you do Porter and Jay Sean Tate. And like, I think Jay Sean is actually like pretty valuable for them. And also, like, it'd be what Porter, Jay Sean Tate. And like, what is the asset you're giving up there? I guess like it, you probably have to give up a one, but what one are you willing to give up? Like, I, I don't. Is there room in the backcourt there too, Sam? Like, at some point, like, you want to play Fred, you just paid Fred Van Vliet a ton of money, Sam. Jalen yeah. Green, I want to see a man Thompson play. I'm not saying they can't play together. I'm just like, I don't know that you're keeping all four of those guys happy. Now, you could play some of them together, like three of them together at one time. I, I'm with you. I don't hate the idea of it, but I just, I do worry a little I, bit about just minutes a little bit. Yeah, I just don't think that, like, I guess you could do it like, you could do like a lottery protected one for Brogdon, but then like you're kind of fucking with your flexibility if you're Houston. And again, like all of this requires like Portland to take on the Kevin Porter deal, which I don't know that they're going to be willing to do. And I don't know that they should be willing to do given the, like everything going on there. So yeah, that feels Houston feels complicated, but I understand why, because it does feel like Portland or it does feel like Houston wanted another ball handler, like with Fred, everything like that. Uh, no strays ENT brogged into the Clippers. I think that's the one that makes the most sense to me personally. Uh, it's just that. Are they willing to like mess with their flexibility and are they willing to like, like to do that? And then to potentially go out and like try and get James Harden. If they decide they want to get James Harden at some point, I think you have to unprotect that 28 pick. Because if you then want to move the 30 pick to get Harden and move like a first rounder, that 28 pick has to be unprotected to do that. So do they like, have the salary matching to do both of those deals, Sam? Because Brogdon's at 20. They do. They have enough. Yeah. I, I knew they, I know they have a lot of guys in that range. That's one thing the Clippers do have and multiple of them expiring. I just didn't know if they had, well, what's that going to take 60 million between the two of them? What's, what's Harden on 30? Yeah, it's, it's about, it's about 57. It would between need the two guys. Yeah. I think they would have enough. Uh, you, you move what Marcus Morris to Philly, you move Covington and Batum to Portland is one year deals. And then you still have the Terrence Mann deal to get to 27 to get to Harden. Um, and then you can move Coffee to Philly as well. That gets you to 30. I say it's getting close though they, to, to do both. Uh, it, Stephen, it's a real, little bit tighter than what I thought. I'll say. Stefan, real quick, those are top 14 protected to Chicago, the Portland, what Portland owes Chicago. Yes, that's correct. I'm like trying to formulate a deal so you could do i I just did it as like a three-team construction i'll share my screen as i'm doing it just because it's a little bit easier um you could do as i pull this up 
All right. Can you see my screen? Yep. You could do like Batum and Covington is expiring to Portland. And obviously this all involves draft picks, right? Uh, you could do Batum and Covington to Portland. You could do uh, Harden and Brogdon to LA. And then you could do Morris, Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey and Bones Highland to Philly. And then James Harden probably asks for, or uh, Joel Embiid probably asked for a trade at that point. <laughs> but like, hey. uh yeah, that that's my whenever we get to this a little later, that that was going to be kind of my hot. Like, I think it's going to go south in Philly this year, Sam. Like, I've just I've kind of just sold on it at this point, And I hate it because I got some people in Philly I really, really like and I want to see it be successful. But I just I feel like there's some bad vibes there. And as I was looking, OK, who are the next teams after Boston and Milwaukee? The automatic answer should be Philly. And I just found myself being like. I just can't say it. I just can't do it. I can't yeah. put him there. Can, can I ask you something real quick? Because this came up in my research, and I really want to ask you this. Yeah, and then, then we'll move on and talk about Boston, but yeah. Okay. Drew Holiday, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, or Drew Holiday, PG-13, Kawhi. Who's the better defensive trio? Drew Holiday, Jimmy Butler, and Bam, if he would have ended up in Miami, or Drew Holiday, PG-13, and Kawhi, if he had ended up in L.A.? It's probably Miami because of the Bam factor there. Agreed. I think that Bam is probably the best defender of all of them, frankly. And I think Drew has a real I'd, – honestly, like I'd say Paul George is probably the second best defender out of that group. Like all due respect to Drew, but like Paul being 6'9 and 6'10, whatever he's able to do um, – I would go Miami, especially given the injury factor of those guys. I would go Miami. Yeah, that's where I was as well. Just as I was doing that research last night, I, I love the idea of Drew Holiday to the Clippers. And then, of course, everybody immediately went, you know, Drew Holiday to Miami. And just kind of in yeah. my notes, whenever I did both of those trades to those teams, I was like, oh, my God, these teams defensively are going to be a nightmare or could be a nightmare. And so I just was like, huh, I wonder where I, I lean Miami as well because of Bam. Bam Bam's the X factor for me also. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break. Then we're going to talk about Boston in regard to this true holiday deal. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. 
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Vacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Okay, Bryce, when you saw that Boston is the team that got Drew Holiday, what was your immediate thought? Um, that's a really good starting lineup. And then I immediately went to what is the depth going to be? And then I'll be honest, Sam, I wanted to really figure out what the totality of the offseason was in terms of smart yep. for Przingis, but bring in Drew Holiday. I didn't factor Grant Williams into this, but this is what I ended up with. I think this is right. So in totality, not counting the Grant Williams stuff, Sam, Marcus Smart, Gallo, Brogdon, Williams, Mascala out. Perzingis, Holiday, Jordan Walsh in along with four future second round picks. So essentially it's Porzingis versus Robert Williams and then Drew Holiday against Marcus Smart and Malcolm Brogdon with Jordan Walsh as kind of an X factor there. And I don't think we can underestimate those second round picks. I think those second round picks are very, very valuable for teams in the space that the Celtics are. We saw that with the Denver Nuggets in the 2023 draft. Yeah, so... Again, just to repeat that, Marcus Smart, Danilo Gallinari, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Mike Muscala, gone, Kristaps Porzingis, Drew Holiday, Jordan Walsh, four seconds, and I think might maybe two more seconds. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't have the Grant Williams return in that. I, I kind of had left him out. And so, yeah, I, there, there was a return in the Grant, Hilliam, Grant Williams as well. Yeah, I believe that it's, I believe that it's Grant Williams, uh, they got two seconds, if I remember correctly, involved in there. But they might have sent one out. It's a little bit complex. Uh, what I would say to all of this, though, is that the Celtics got the two best players in that arrangement. Drew Holiday and Kristaps are the two best players. And if you don't think Kristaps is better than like Malcolm Brogdon and Rob Williams, like you just didn't watch Washington last year. Uh Kristaps was awesome last year. He was so good. Like, I think that there are obviously injury concerns with Kristaps that just will continue to exist throughout the course of his career because people are not meant to be seven foot three inches tall, right? Having said that, he had, I think, the best season of his career last year. He shot 50% from the field, 39% from three, 85% from the line had 8.4 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists per game. I actually thought he got like just a little bit more competent as a passer and playmaker. That's always been like the thing that bothered me most about Kristaps' game. 
is like he could be a little bit of like a if you doubled him on the block, for instance, when the Knicks would like throw him the ball on the block and like have him like take that little turnaround shot, like he would not pass if he got doubled. Uh, he wouldn't be able to hit that like right read, that right kick out. I thought he got a little bit better at like hitting the right reads and right kickouts last year. And then on top of it, he averaged 23. Like he was really good last year for Washington. He was really, really valuable. And now they have like real size on the interior to play like within their drop covered scheme when they want to play drop. They also have an adjustment with Al Horford to be able to play as a switchy kind of team if you really want to do that. And they have Drew Holiday, Derek White as guards that can definitely switch. So the reason that I really liked them keeping Al Horford over Rob Williams was that flexibility and versatility defensively. I get it that... Al Horford is older and, you know, is 36 and your center position now is like a 36 year old center and a injury prone center, which is concerning on some level, but that's an awesome duo to have. And then on top of it, you can go small, you can go Drew Holiday, Derek White, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown is your four on the perimeter to close with. It's just a really, really, really flexible multiple team now. And I think they're going to be even more dangerous offensively because of what Kristaps can bring as a floor spacer and shooter. He has genuine gravity as a shooter. Al Horford, teams mostly let him go out there. Like they will let him shoot for the most part. You really can't let Kristaps shoot. And Kristaps can shoot from like 27 feet out, which is a big deal. So that that's going to completely change their offense. I think like in a real substantial way, those Jalen Brown drives that people bitch about when, you know, he can't dribble, he can't do this. He's going to have all the space in the world to dribble now. Like it, he's going to have so much space to drive and attack. He's got drew holiday hitting catch and shoot shots. Derek white is now able to shoot catch and shoot shots. It's a really, really uh, impressive top six. And, and we'll talk about the rest of it here in a minute. Celtics get two second round picks and a second round pick swap in that Grant Williams trade. So just to to clean that up from what we said earlier, I think that that essentially what we had said. Yeah, I, I think the top six, you, you said it exactly. I don't even care who you start, however you want to do it. If Derek White comes off the bench and you play a little bigger or if he starts and Horford comes off the bench, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. I actually, I talked to Matt Moderno over at Believe in Wizards whenever the Porzongas excuse me, Porzingis trade happened and he didn't like the fit of Porzingis and Williams playing together. But I think he would say, I don't want to put words in his mouth, that this makes a lot more sense for Porzingis, especially defensively now. And so I think that works. Here's where it comes to for the Celtics. How do you, I, I think they're going to win plenty of regular seasons. Let's just talk playoffs. Who are the, the, who are the final two guys, Sam? Who are the final two guys? You don't need 11 guys in the playoffs. You may not even need 10, but you got to get more than six. Who yeah. they have, Who were the final two? And I, I think they have some options, but I can't say with ultimate confidence. I can't name you two where I would just be like, those are the two. Those are the guys that are going to do it. Now they still yeah. have some flexibility to do stuff, but it's either going to take some guys improving, making another move. And I want to say this as well. I said it after Summer League when I wrote at Draft Digest about their draft recap. I think Jordan Walsh is a rotation player on this team. And I thought it then that there was a possibility. 
I think he is going to be now in the in the regular season. I think Jordan Walsh is going to be a rotation player. I think he has a chance to be that. Uh, I didn't really buy it uh, coming out of Arkansas immediately. I thought it would take him some time, but you know, I, I think the shooting is particularly what's going to take some time for Jordan. I know that he knocked down shots at summer league, but you know, having guys with NBA length and size, like real NBA length and size and athleticism running at you is a little bit different than summer league. Uh, they have enough shooting now to kind of cover for him though. And use the defense which is valuable like he can really really defend i think from day one in the nba so it wouldn't stun me if he ends up being like the eighth man and is just like a defense only like let's move let's have him out there for 15 minutes a night i don't think i love it in the playoffs because the teams will just not guard him but in the regular season i think you can like make minutes with jordan walsh work okay Uh, i'll be clear yeah i'm yeah, not Given this playoffs. Roster construction. Yeah, not playoffs. I'm talking regular season, energy, defense, does some good things. And yeah, that's a very good yep. caveat. In fairness to me, when I wrote that article, he had just shot 41% from three in summer league. And I know we can't just overreact to summer league, but it was on five and a half attempts a game. Yeah, what, what if he's just Kawhi Leonard and like his, you know, immediate shooting improvement that yeah. we didn't which, see which, coming? Which shouldn't be something we bank on. I I completely understand and agree with that. Yeah. I just here are the other Pritchard, Cornette, Brissett, Svi, Lamar Stevens, Banton, Hauser. Yep. I just I, I don't mean to demean any of those guys. I'm not saying they're not real NBA players and Jordan Walsh has never played an NBA game. I'm not saying that, Sam. I'm just saying there's a path that if he shoots decently well enough, brings energy, and the defense is real value. Why can he not be an 82-game player? Not a playoff guy, an 82-game, 15 minutes a night guy for the Celtics. Yeah, and long term, he might be in he might be a 16-game shoot guy if he can actually shoot. Uh, if he can re- if he can shoot at some point, he's definitely a 16-game guy. Uh, I just don't know if the shooting will translate. We will see. Uh the seventh guy here is Sam Hauser, like for sure. Uh, it's, it will be Sam Hauser. They trust him. He, they think he can shoot. Uh, he definitely can shoot. But they, they also think that he can, uh, defend a little bit better than maybe what was anticipated coming out of Virginia. Peyton Pritchard, I think will play minutes, you know, can Peyton Pritchard stick in the playoffs? I think remains to be in, it's, it's an open question. He's tough. He has the mindset to do it, but we'll see. Cornette, I think right now is the backup big. One thing that I mentioned in that article that I wrote where I, called the trade outside of having Pritchard in it for Boston. If I was Boston, I would call Oklahoma city right now about Jeremiah Robinson Earl and maybe try to get him because I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl is like a really interesting, like third or fourth big man. And he can play both the four and the five, which in this case is something that I think Boston will want like that positional flexibility and versatility uh, with Cornette particularly being like the backup five man right now. So if you could give up like a couple of those seconds, maybe that you've accumulated, I kind of like the idea of going out and trying to get Robinson Earl. Oklahoma city also is in a weird spot where they have uh, like a very substantial, significant roster crunch that they're going to have to figure out in the preseason. Uh, Be it, you know, is it Trey man? Is it, JRE is it you know I don't think it'll be Aaron Wiggins at all but like that that's the kind of guy those are the kind of guys where it's like okay these guys are probably rotation players somewhere in the NBA and they're gonna have to make a decision on like two of them if I remember correctly uh 
So they, they have a real roster glut that they're going to have to take care of. There are a few other, you know, interesting potential names. I'm sure you could call like Washington. I'm sure you could call and like a couple of their bigs. Uh, It's, it's just going to be an intriguing blend and mix of how you handle things moving forward. The the Pistons have a couple extra ones, Sam, if, if the Celtics (laughs) want to want to call over there. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if those guys. I don't know if those guys solve the problems for Boston. Unfortunately, uh, especially given the money that two of them make uh, yeah. in James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley. But with Boston now, the question for me definitely shifts toward depth, and I really like what they've done to take a bunch of flyers on like bigger bodies. Basically, they also signed Delano Banton. Like yep. Delano Banton is a somewhat intriguing free agent that you know big can handle the ball really needs to shoot it obviously but like a playmaker in transition for them uh they have Svi, they have O'Shea Brissett who is probably the ninth guy right now I would guess uh and then they have Walsh like I love that they just keep taking flyers on guys that are six foot seven to six foot eight six foot nine and you know, have some ball skill and have some defensive flexibility and versatility. I think that th- that's how you build depth in today's NBA when you don't have the assets necessarily uh, for it. And I guess to that point, you have a bunch of names that we've just rattled off and you just hope that three of them stick, right? You give them all chances in the regular season. You figure out where chemistry happens. And at the end of the day, when the playoffs come, you only need two of them to play or three of them to play. And you're, you know, how's like you say, Hauser shoots the laces off the ball. So he's going to be able to play. So that gives you a seventh. Maybe you only need one more come to playoffs, you know, and nights in the NBA where you're playing the, you know, the best teams and you want to shorten the rotation. We may see it there as well. And then you have four or five, six other guys that we've talked about to help you quite honestly, when you go play the Detroit Pistons and you go play the Washington Wizards and those type of teams, then you can lengthen out that rotation and you have some quality guys that will bring some energy and at least can play one side of the floor or the other. So maybe the depth doesn't prove to be as big of an issue, but whenever we're talking about just a true top six, I think there's still some question marks. So two, two things here. First, this team is like better than they were previously, like unequivocally. I've seen some people try and make arguments against that. They basically upgraded both at center and at the Marcus Smart like defensive guard position. Like all due respect to Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday is a better player. Drew Holiday, I think, finished seventh or eighth among guards last year in all NBA voting. He is awesome. Drew Holiday is so, so good. And he is now like a genuine, like big three member with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, And Kristaps is their fourth on this roster, which is pretty wild. And oh, by the way, Derek White is awesome. Derek White is so good at basketball. Like they, Derek White is like a top 50 player in the NBA and he is their fourth or fifth best player. Like he's probably a little bit better than Kristaps if I'm being honest, but like, I think that Kristaps, you know, probably has a bigger role at the end of the day. They, they are, they they are a really deep, really good basketball team now in, in terms of their top six and, and in terms of the way that they can beat you in multiple different ways. Now, uh, if you would have told me entering the summer that they 
upgrade at the Robert Williams spot, upgrade at the Marcus Smart spot. And then on top of it, you get a better decision maker than Marcus and Drew. Like, I think this is a home run off season for Boston. I really do. And like they added like Jordan Walsh and four first four second round picks, like the, everything they've done around the margins, like, you know, Brad Stevens, Mike Zarin, Dave Lewin, like all the guys that are in that front office that are really, really sharp. They've done a really, really good job building out flyers in terms of depth while upgrading their ceiling and upgrading their starting unit, which is ultimately what I think they needed. I want to just give the Drew Holiday pitch real fast because I know like Marcus Smart was, you know, obviously a huge part of what the Celtics yeah. did. Drew Holiday is also a very quality teammate to go with being the player he is. NBA Sportsmanship Award in 2021. Three-time NBA Teammate of the Year. He's going to give you 65-plus games, 30-plus minutes, 15-plus points, 4-plus rebounds, 6-plus assists, plus the defense. The last three seasons, Sam, 49% field goals on 15 attempts, 40% from three on over five attempts, 80% from the free throw line on two plus attempts. Last season, he was 38% from three on more than six attempts a game. And I know there's been the playoff stuff, Sam, and it does the efficiency goes down. This is still a guy for his career in the playoffs, almost 18 points a game, five rebounds, and almost seven assists. And that's your third best player? Like, those are third best player in the playoff numbers. I like it's gonna be he's really, really good. I just wanted to give the quick pitch for Drew Holiday because I kind of had looked that stuff up and had it prepared for when we were gonna talk about Drew Holiday potential trades. Drew Holiday is really, really, really good. Yeah, Drew Holiday over the last six seasons of his career has averaged 19.7 assists, five rebounds. Uh, he has shot 48% from the field, 37% from the three, uh, well over a two to one assist to turnover ratio and has made the all defense team five out of six of those years. All, all due respect to Marcus Smart. I get it. The Marcus Smart won a defensive player of the year. I think Drew Holiday is a better defensive player than Marcus Smart is. Uh, I think he is, maybe it's, a, maybe he is not quite as switchable onto bigs as Marcus is, but I think he is more aggressive and physical against guards and is like very, very capable of fighting over the top. The other piece of it with Drew that I specifically want to bring up defensively is that Drew is probably for my money, the best guard at fighting over the top of screens, as we've learned within Milwaukee's drop coverage action over the core or drop coverage defensive scheme over the course of the last, uh, you know, three years that Drew's been there. What is Boston going to have to run now with Kristaps? They're going to have to run like a pretty significant drop. Absolutely. So the synergy across the board with this deal with Drew is fantastic. I, I think this is a fantastic deal for Boston. I think it makes sense for Portland too. Like I think that Portland did well here, but across the board, this just makes a lot of sense. Uh, now let's shift to one final question here. Part of the appeal of Drew Holiday's contract is he has a extendable contract. He is extension eligible in a way that, like, for instance, James Harden is not right now. However, Boston is in a circumstance now where they have paid Jalen Brown a significant amount of money 
Jason Tatum's deal is going to come up at the end of 2025 because he's a player option in 2025-26. So they're going to have to extend him after this year, I would bet you. Maybe like they wait, but I would bet you they try and do it after this year. And the year where it gets very, 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 very expensive to have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum on the roster is 2025-26. Yep. That's the year where basically those two are going to be taking up essentially like 70% of the salary cap. Drew, then, I don't know if you're getting the most out of him if you're not extending him. Do you think they just do it anyway and keep the asset? He's 33. They're going to get super expensive, Sam. So the estimate on Jalen Browns is 34% of the cap. Tatum's is going to. So is it worth it to keep him? Because he's going to. Will he exercise that player? He won't exercise that player option for 24, 25. Don't you think like he's. So this is the whole point of extending him, right? Like you could maybe get him to opt into the player option and then extend off of that player option for like two more years at, you know, 45 million a year or something like that. If you want to, like you could even go up to like, if you want to go nuts, you could go up to 50, I believe uh, for two more years. Do you just do it to get the second cheap year knowing that like you move them down the road? This, this is a actually like really hard one. I think for Boston uh, that I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, because you'd have three guys making f- almost 50 then in 25, 26. Yeah, yep, yep. And Porzingis and is making Stops. 30. Yep. I, I don't know what this looks like uh, yet, is, is kind of my point. And I respect the shit out of Boston for just going all in and saying, fuck it, we're going to try and win a title. But. It, it it doesn't do less to complicate their issues moving forward with the salary cap. Maybe, maybe that's a way to put it. It, it, do, it certainly doesn't uh, certainly doesn't assuage any of those potential issues. It's funny that uh, Drew's actually the biggest cap hit on the books this year for the Celtics because Brown's extension hasn't kicked in yet. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, Drew is Drew is the most expensive guy. Is Kristaps too? He yeah, it and it's 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 not it's yeah. by less than a million dollars. They're all over thirty, but yeah, Drew's just right under thirty-seven. Uh, Chris stops at thirty-six, and then essentially yep. right around thirty-two for Tatum and Brown. So it just just yep. interesting that that holiday's yep. uh, actually the biggest right now. My guess on this is that Boston is going to have to make a decision on one of Derek White or Drew Holiday down the road, and they're both extension eligible right now. We'll yep. see you know, if they can get a deal done with either Derek is a much lesser number. I think that Derek's max that he can extend at is probably around a deal starting at like 26 million a year. And I think that's a deal he's worth. I think Derek is definitely worth $26 million a year and we'll see where it goes. But I I wanted to bring up the extension piece of it in Boston's salary cap situation moving forward, because it's about to become very hairy after these two years and they're going to have to figure out exactly how they handle it. And moving back to Portland now, that entire thing is why, in my opinion, betting on a 2029 unprotected Boston pick is 
it might not work out, but it's an interesting idea for Portland uh, in a way that betting on maybe some of the other assets around were not uh, as interesting to them. Well, you're betting on a 2029 Boston and a 2029 Bucks, right? For a Bucks yep. team that, well, I think, you know, I guess you you assume Gian- Giannis, that's six years from now. So who knows where Giannis is at? But Middleton is like Middleton and Dame are done playing by 2029, right? I think we would agree with that. And so who knows where the, the Bucks are at come 2029. So that's why I said, like, I think you talked about this. I like the hitting those out in the future picks that the Blazers did. And I think they could do it too, Sam, because you just drafted Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp. And again, you have some other, let me ask you this. Is Jeremy Grant going to be a positive asset whenever that comes around? Are they going to get, are they going to get an asset in return? Cause I feel like the way that people talk about Jeremy Grant's contract, I don't know if yeah. you have to send out an asset with him, but I don't think people are going to value that at that price tag very much. Am I crazy there? I I don't know is the answer. Uh, That that is a long contract for somebody like Jeremy Grant. And my guess is that teams are not going to love it. Yeah. Uh, Paying like $30 million for Jeremy Grant, uh, a considerable way down the road, but you know, he's going to be well into his thirties at that point, And that feels like a, feels like a tough decision. Say, so for, like, you just keep him for a couple of years until it's a shorter contract. And then now you're trading Jeremy Grant on 30 millions with just two years on it. But now Jeremy Grant's a little further into his thirties and maybe not quite the same player. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's the path. Cause again, I think Jeremy Grant fits with this roster right now. You know, like he's a good defender. He's a good weak side protector. As long as he's not trying to be the man, like he lets Scoot do his thing. I think you want to let DeAndre be the number two, number three option, maybe number one option this season to find out what he can be and let him be happy. But if Jeremy's willing to take that role, but I don't, Jeremy signed up for this in Detroit and it, you know, and then eventually went to Portland. I don't know that Jeremy wants to do this in Portland now, with a team that's rebuilding. So it's just a super interesting situation to me for both the Blazers and for Jeremy. Yeah. I think, I think it was a deal where they just wanted to take care of Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, they probably told him that, you know, when they signed him that they would take care of him on the back end and they lived up to it. Uh, So, you know, whether or not that's true, I can't imagine that, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, and the cap's going to keep rising. I, I, I'm not sure how teams will value that Jeremy Grant deal. I, I really am not at all. Now, let's shift forward here, okay? And let's have this conversation now. Top of the Eastern Conference, I think there are two teams very clearly now at the top. It's Milwaukee and Boston. If you had to pick Milwaukee or Boston to win a playoff series right now, which one do you think you would take? I get, they're meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals? Let's say that, yeah. I think I'm going with Boston. I I just I as much mm-hmm. as we just talked about the six and the depth and I questioned some things. I'm just going to buy into that. Although 
I've started to love the Dame to Milwaukee one more and more because I'm like, that dude in clutch moments is exactly what they're going to need. I want to know what Chris Middleton's going to be. We had this conversation, Sam, and I feel like I was undervaluing Chris and his health and his return a little bit more. I heard you talk about this as well, though. With Dame taking such an offensive load, can Chris focus a little bit more just on the defensive end? Giannis can maybe even have a little more energy to be impactful defensively. So I I think I'm still going Celtics, but man, it's hard to count against Dame in the playoffs in a series like that. That that would be so much fun. That'll be so much fun. Drew Drew back against the the Bucks in that moment would be incredible. So the answer is here. I don't know. I think I lean Boston and here's the reason why the reason I like the Dame deal so much for Milwaukee is that I think their offense is basically going to be like unstoppable for the general team yeah. to pl- to go up against. Right. I think that if there is a team that is built to slow them down, it actually is probably Boston because you can switch a lot of those Lillard Giannis actions. Yeah. You don't love the idea of drew like on Giannis in those switches, but it's probably better than what most teams can do. And then defensively they have the perimeter shot creators. I think to actually take advantage of whatever Milwaukee's perimeter defensive situation is going to look like. Uh, I think I would have Boston number one right now in the pecking order in the East after this trade. Cause I think that it gives them the defensive firepower on the perimeter to match up with anybody. And you can throw both Derek white and drew holiday. Like you can throw waves and bodies at Dame. Dame. It's not going to yep. be one guy. It's going to take an ocean to slow down Dame, so to speak. And then with Giannis, a big key with slowing down Giannis is being able to just have that wall at the rim. And if you need to, you can play like Porzingis Horford lineups yep. that work probably. So I think there are a couple of ways that Boston, I think is advantaged against Milwaukee that I, I believe in uh, from just like a schematic advantage, I think is what I would say. I just keep looking back and forth of the lineups. I'm like, these starting lineups are just silly. This is ridiculous. Because I, I I talk about their three best players, Sam. You know, I was like, oh, Holiday, Brown, and Tate. They still have Porzingis and Derek White. And then I go to the Bucks. Well, that's yep. better than the Bucks. And then the Bucks, I go Dame, Middleton, and Giannis. Oh, well, I haven't even talked Brooke Lopez yet. And so it's really interesting. And in the, in the chat is blowing up right now. Yeah, ultimately, Sam. Injuries are going to decide who the better team in the playoffs yeah. is. Like ultimately, I think we all, if we all had to put money on something and it was a third, a third, a third, this team's better, this team's better, or injuries decide, I would put my money on an, an injury to somebody, unfortunately, probably ends up deciding and being the X factor, whether it's in the regular season or once the playoffs yeah. come around. And at the end of the day, the Bucks have some of the same depth issues. To me, there's six, you know, I think you believe in Bobby Portis. They have Crowder, Beasley, and then they signed, I believe, campaign today. 
But then again, yeah, and, it, and I'm assuming that Pat Connaughton is just going to move into the starting lineup yeah, for Grayson yeah, at yeah. this point. Sorry, I, I never said Connaughton's name, but yeah, I'm assuming Pat Connaughton in the starting lineup. This is another team where can you get some sort of production from a young player slash rookie? So I talked about Jordan Wash. Can the Celtics get something from him, even if it's as an 82 game guy, regular season guy? What can the Bucks get from Marshawn Beauchamp? What could they potentially get from Andre Jackson? I love Andre Jackson. Is there enough shooting insulation around him where he yep. can come in and just defend? Yep. And I think he's a good passer and he's super athletic. Maybe, maybe Sam, he can just bring energy on a nightly basis, but I don't know. And I don't think Marshawn Beauchamp we know for sure yet either. So it, it'll be really interesting still. Sean Fanning brings up if Al Horford gets hurt, it's basically a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I think Horford is now like an incredibly important piece for Boston. Uh, Luke B also brings up a Daniel Tice move. Like I think Daniel Tice becomes really valuable as like a guy for the Pacers to have like in a potential trade scenario from, you know, I think Miami could look at him. I think Boston could look at him. I think that, uh, certainly the Bucks probably don't because they have Portis and Giannis, but you know, there, there are just teams around the league where like, it's like, okay, Daniel Tice is like actually a pretty valuable piece here for, you know, a team like a Boston, if they could get, if they could get something done. The problem with Boston now is like the salary situation becomes fraught let's go with uh in terms of trying to match salaries on somebody like a daniel tice tice is scheduled to make nine million this year so like you know you, you can't really do anything other than like richard cornett and like i think they claim lamar stevens on waivers if i remember correctly so like e- even then that's still i think like not i don't even know if that one's there to be honest, like Pritchard, Cornett, and Stevens. So it, it's going to be tight. It's going to be really, really tight. Um, real, real quick. One, no, I don't think either of us are talking about these young guys playing in the playoffs. And I know we're kind of, I, I, maybe I'm bouncing back and forth between the topics. And then T-Rab says both teams are going to be an eight-man. You can't go 82 games with an eight-man rotation. And, and we've spent a lot of this episode talking about injuries and how old some of these guys are, especially with these teams you have to be able to play more than eight guys you're not going to be able to just play a 10-man rotation with these teams yeah you got to hope these stars play as many games as possible but you're going to rely in the regular season on these 11th 12th guys and for these teams it's going to come down to some of these younger players playing some minutes at least in the regular season in my opinion yeah. Yeah. No, I, they're going to have to find depth. I think Milwaukee is a little bit better situated depth wise to be able to just like eat those innings. Right. Like that's kind of what it comes down to is just like having like a yes. fifth starter that can eat the innings. Yes. But yeah, uh, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's really, really, uh, really fascinating to see what happens here with those two teams if you had to bet on one team to win so we're talking about from a playoff perspective when we rank these teams if you had to bet on a team to win in the regular season i think i would bet on milwaukee finishing first right now in the regular season because i think that their defense 
causes more problem or their offense. I'm sorry. Their offense causes more problems for anybody during the regular season, like a general team uh, than exists. So I I think that I would have Milwaukee first in the regular season. And I think I would have Boston a little bit better situated in the playoffs. I'm cool with that. Yeah, that makes sense. The the regular season offensive of you you outlined it, but Dame and Giannis, and then they can put the floor spacing around it. I mean, forget about it. So, um, and then that defense that Boston can play in the playoffs, I think, comes in a little bit more. And yep. I I still I still have some questions about Milwaukee and who defends perimeter players in the playoffs. I, I still do, yep. and Middleton may answer that question, and then I you know and then it'll be answered, but. I'm curious to see it. Okay. Next, who would you have at three in the, the ca- East? The Cavs. Like th- this is my in in the playoffs. You would have the Cavs at three because again, we're talking about in the playoffs. <sighs> okay, playoff. I think the Cavs are going to end up being the three seed. Is what I would say. That was my answer yeah. there. I agree. I don't want to say the heat because that's just boring and it's like, oh, you just believe, you know, heat culture and all of that. And I have some major questions about that roster right now. I don't know, Sam. I, I, the Cavs still? I'm just going to stay with the Cavs. I, I don't know why. Can I, I can't... Can, I, can I give you an off the board answer? Hold on. Can I guess? Let me guess. Uh... There's really only one left. Who I I had all these teams in a t- the Knicks, yeah, okay. For the playoffs, particularly, I love what the Knicks have done. I think that they are a fucking difficult team to play. Yeah, we look. In my opinion, in the regular season, like I would have the Cavs ahead. It's very difficult to have the Cavs ahead of the Knicks right now in a playoff series after what we just saw last year. (laughs) And like, frankly, they kicked the shit out of the Cavs in the regular season too. They've won like, I think they've beaten the Cavs like seven out of nine games last year. The Cavs got better though. Not at what the Knicks killed them at, but would you agree the Cavs got better this off season? mm -hmm. Not, Not at specifically where the Knicks beat them up in that series, but they've gotten better. In some ways, they did improve in terms of the way that the Knicks beat them up because the Knicks just sagged off of okay, their yeah. you know fifth person offensively, be it Isaac Coro, Karis LeVert, you know whoever it was on the court, Chetty Osman at times. Having Max Struess there, having George Niang there, you can't sag off of those guys. Just point blank, like it's going to open up a lot more for Donovan Mitchell. It will open up a lot more, I think, particularly for Evan Mobley. And on top of it, the Knicks don't have a guy like Mobley that might just take a big leap. Right. So if you wanted to rank the Cavs three and, you know, I I think that you that was your initial reaction. I think there's absolutely a case to rank the Cavs three. I personally can't do it because of just, there's a big gap, I think in terms of like a matchup between the Cavs and the Knicks right now. And I don't know that Max Struess and George cover that gap. It will require Evan Mobley covering that gap, in my opinion. Now, 
do you have the Knicks ahead of Philly? Do you have, you know, the Knicks ahead of Miami? Miami's the big one there for me. I would have Miami four right now, personally, in the playoffs. I'm more worried about Miami's depth than I have been in past years. And when I say depth, I don't even mean like off the bench. I mean, like who are the fifth guys that are like going to be on the court for Miami a lot of the time. Now, obviously you're going to have Jimmy and Bam out there. Hero will be out there. I think Caleb Martin will be out there, but like, what's the starting lineup there? Is that, is it Hero, Butler, Martin, and Bam? Is that the starting lineup in Miami right now? They might bring, look, they brought Caleb off the bench a lot of the time last year. So like it might be Kevin Love uh, is the starter with Bam. That that was kind of like their modus operandi in the playoffs for the most part. But like it's a lot of reliance from a flexibility perspective on Jaime Jaquez, Nikola Jovic, uh, and frankly, like Kevin Love right now to be able to really play. So I think the Knicks just have like a little bit more juice right now than Miami does with the depth pieces like Gabe Vincent and Max Schroes being gone. And I get that that sounds like bizarre, but I kind of thought the Knicks played Miami like pretty tough uh, to begin with in the playoffs. So. And Miami was the eight seed last year. Like it was an incredible story, right? Insane. And I will not take anything away from them. I'm not going to add a caveat into their type. Like I'm not going to do it, but they were an eight seed in the regular season with that roster. And the roster hasn't gotten better, Sam. It's probably gotten worse. And so it's just hard to like it regular season, especially I don't know why I wouldn't have the Knicks above them. So yeah, and maybe they make yeah. playoff. Maybe they make playoff magic happen again. I don't know, but like Grimes was injured last year in the playoffs. You know, his Dirty Dancer says like Emmanuel quickly like gave them nothing really, and I, I find that hard to believe that he will be that bad in the playoffs again. Like truly, I think Emmanuel quickly is a really good player. And I just find it hard to believe you can make the case that Miami like did not have Tyler hero for like a big portion of things. So that could be where some real improvement comes, but their guys are older now too. So I like Kyle Lowry is older. Jimmy Butler's a year older. It's the Knicks guys are moving into their prime. You know, Jalen Brunson is going to be just as good as he was last year. There's no age drop off there for him in my opinion. So, uh, I would go the Knicks. This, this, I get it. It's going to sound bizarre, but I would have Boston in a playoff only ranking. I'd have Boston one, Milwaukee two. I'd have the Knicks three. I'd have Miami four, and I'd have the Cavs five. Where are you as low on the Sixers as me? Then I have the Sixers at six right now. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not crazy. I I have some significant concerns about the Sixers. Yes, <laughs> they have the MVP, but. Are they going to have James Harden at all? It seems like no, uh, given that he just went to the club and like someone was holding up a sign about Daryl Morey. It seems seems unlikely that that situation is going to end well for anybody involved. It, I don't know. It just feels it feels like a fraught situation in Philadelphia right now. And I know they won 54 games last year and 
it's just it's it's tough for me to buy that they are any better than what they were last year yeah i just went through the roster i I just didn't feel good about it and that's going to be fascinating to keep an eye on with some of the you know decisions and situations they have coming up what about some of these other teams sam you know i think we're in agreement there at least with the top six in whatever order the Hawks essentially run it back, minus traded John Collins and the rookies. The Nets, the Bulls, the Raptors lost Fred Van Vliet. What about one of these young teams like the Pacers? Do they, mm-hmm. you know, end up going like, do they make a jump into a top six or something like that? Do the Magic make a jump? Is there a team you like from kind of. I think the yeah. re- what I would call the rest of the teams that are truly ready to win some games, because I wouldn't say that about Washington, Detroit. I don't know. The Charlotte roster is probably better than what people give it credit for, just talent-wise. Yeah. But are there any teams that stick out for you with, with that next group? Yeah. Not not really <laughs> on like the top six's level, to be honest. Yeah. Um, if you made me pick a seventh right now, think i would probably go atlanta toronto indiana like one of those three chicago i think will try to win so there's in the mix too what if orlando is just like good yeah is like another piece of this i think i would go with the hawks right now if I had to pick one team, I think I would go with the Hawks. Yeah, it's seven. And then maybe Toronto, eight, Indiana, nine. I just can't. I don't know why I'm so sour on the Bulls right now, but I've well, just been I, waiting. I like the, the, I've just they, been waiting for them to blow it up, entire, Yeah, they were healthy the entire year last year, and they still won 41 games, and then they ran it back. They're probably not going to stay that healthy next year because teams just generally don't stay that healthy, right? Like injuries occur during an 82 game season. They got over 70 games from Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Nikola Vucevic. That's a lot. Yeah. So it, it's, I, I look like the Bulls got better in terms of depth. Like they have Javon Carter now. I like that, uh, I like that signing. Yeah, like you have to hope that, you know, Alex Caruso can stay healthy again, which by the way, Alex Caruso played a career high in games last year at 67. Uh his totals have been 41 58 64 25 37 previously. Just the way he plays, he ends up kind of putting himself in harm's way a lot of the time. So, I, I get it. Like I I think they have to make some moves to adjust some things in Chicago and maybe adjust direction. And if they don't, uh, they could be in one of those weird regions right now where they feel like they have to try and contend, but they shouldn't be trying to contend kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, you go to that Hawks roster and you're right. Like that, that seems like a team. Does it, it seems like there's been some negative just, or maybe they've just been out of the conversation altogether. I don't know what it is with yeah. them, but they've kind of been forgotten. But I mean, that backcourt is still super, super talented with Murray and Trey Young, 
I like Okongwu, DeAndre Hunter. You know, Sadiq Bay is not great, but he, you know, he's a a decent NBA player off the bench. Yep. Year two of AJ Griffin. So yeah, it's an interesting roster. I like you said. I just, I guess they're not interesting enough to really kind of be in the conversation of the other teams that we mentioned and really went a little deeper with. So here's here's the thing where they are interesting is Quinn Snyder there for a full year. That's true. Yep. Yep. If you told me this team jumps into the playoffs, like in into that group of the top six, because Quinn Snyder is a way better coach than Nate McMillan was, I think there's a real case for that. Uh, Atlanta is in a positive situation right now solely because of that. They have the center depth to where they can withstand a Capella or a Kongwu injury. Uh, they have the wing depth to where they can withstand, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich getting hurt because you have Sadiq, you know, you have AJ Griffin, you have Jalen Johnson, not exactly like for like with Bogdan. I get that, but you also have shot creation with Trey Young and DeJounte. So I don't know. The Pacers are the sneaky team. That's going to be a fun team they to are. watch. Because Tyrese just had an insane summer. He was really good. Bruce Brown comes in and is a very good role player. What are they going to do with Hild? They're going to trade Hild? That, is that the next domino? Is that the final? Is that going to happen think before? is probably the next domino. Okay. And then, you know, could be healed. See what happens with Makes, my guy, Ben Math. I was a huge Ben Math fan coming out of that draft. Yeah, I like Ben as well. I think Ben will be a good, uh, probably sixth man, if maybe bet. Like, I yeah. think he still comes off the bench for them. Yep. But the Bruce Brown signing is enormous for them because he is somebody that gives them real defensive like versatility in a way that they lacked last season. Uh, you can play him like with, you can play him like as a four man almost Yep, with miles Turner. And like, Absolutely. that'll be super, super fun. You have miles space to the corner. You can have Bruce Brown screening and, you know, short rolling for Tyrese. When people put two on the ball against Tyrese, it's going to be a really, really good team. I think uh, their pieces fit. You have OB is like a running partner for Tyrese Halliburton. Now they're, they're going to be a very fun team. Yep. But like if they win six, more games that would get them to 41 and six wins feels like a pretty big leap. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think they make the play in for sure is where I'm at on Indiana and we'll see where it goes from there. I wonder what the Celtics and the Bucks being so good. Like, I wonder where, if that changes the mindset of teams where it's just like, we have no chance. We have these two dominant teams in the conference and we, you know, like, if it, I just would be, I'm always interested how it changes the philosophy of a front office for a year when you see those teams get to the level and what it seems like they are right now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Not sure. Not sure. But what's our let's let's go here. What's our final ranking before we move on and try and get out of here in an hour and twenty five, maybe. Yeah, because I walked out after the last one, Sam, and I immediately looked at my wife, and I'm like, please don't be mad at me. And she goes, I'm not mad at you. I just don't believe anybody's going to watch a three-hour <laughs> podcast. 
Okay. And so all week, Sam, I just gave her the numbers from the YouTube views. And I said, actually, people did watch it just so you know. But yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, our rankings were Boston one, Milwaukee two, New York three, Miami four, uh, Cavs five, Sixers six, Atlanta Hawks. seven, let's go Toronto yep. eight, and yep. Indiana nine. That works for and me. That works for me. I don't yep. think we need a 10th. I'm good keeping it at nine. Uh, you have not watched the Perth Southeast Melbourne game yet. Not yet. I have it on the desktop ready to, to queue up though. Have you watched uh, any fun draft stuff recently? So I watched, please say the name for me so I don't mispronounce it from the kid from France. Uh, the kid from France. Oh, Tijan Saloon. Yeah. Watched him in a game. He played really, really well. I'm really intrigued to watch some more of, of him play. I'm trying for, to. For people who don't know who Tijan Saloon is, can you explain like who, like how big he is, what his game is, position, everything like that? Yeah. So he's what, six, nine wing forward, really smooth looking jumper. The first couple attempts, Sam, I was like, man, this is kind of elongated, has a really low dip. I'm not sure I'm super excited about it. And then he had ones that were like off movement. He had one where he shot fake, sidestep, and he's like fading off to the right. Like it may not have been prototypical of what you would want, but it was bottoms. And so he had 20-some points in that game. Had some really intriguing attacks of closeouts in this game we were talking about this before we record not a guy you're putting the ball in his hands i think he's truly what i would call an off the ball player but he showed some ability to attack closeouts had a little bit of bounce on one finished above the rim with a dunk and so it, it was really interesting defensively i thought he was active but the kind of the processing and awareness needs to grow just a little bit, which is true with a lot of young players. I would rather see the activity, but maybe they're a half second slow, but I was encouraged by some possessions and then others like, man, he's got, he's got some stuff he's got to figure out here. So it was just a guy that I bookmarked. I got to watch more of this kid's film. Yeah. I also have to watch more of uh, saloon. I have the ignite like games on my list, the games in Singapore uh, for, today uh, as long as i can get done with this i'm doing like a brogdon you know future trades like look ahead today uh so i have to write that and then the other game that i saw was the perth southeast melbourne game which was a bizarre game i was there uh perth you know looked like they were going to blow them out in the first eight minutes and then southeast came back a little bit got it to four at the end of the first quarter I think that they I think they tied in the second quarter and I think Perth was up four going into halftime. And then Southeast put together a 38 to 10 quarter, 38 to 12 quarter or something. Uh, because throughout the game, look, the officiating was bad in this game. It was really, really rough. I think it was like 23 to nine at one point in terms of fouls called. Uh, all of Jordan Usher... Alex Sar, uh, Keanu Pinder, who who else? Christian Doolittle, like all of Perth's guys were in foul trouble in some way, shape, or form, and it just like completely changed the complexion of the game in such a substantial way. And look, like Tyler Cook and Mitch Creek, like those are two guys that like really pressure the rim, and that's actually what made it a really interesting evaluation context for Alex Sar, 
you're going to watch this game and you're going to see a moment where Tyler Cook kind of dunked on Alex Sar, like caught, like caught him, kind of caught him to the side a little bit. It wasn't as bad as what I think like people made it out to be afterward, but like caught him, caught him to the side for sure. And he bumped him like afterward just to like kind of say some shit to him. And he like, Alex kind of didn't take that. Like he, he really went back at him. They like Good. got into it Good. and they had like their teammates and like the refs had to come and separate them. And he starts like pointing at him and he gets frustrated with him. And then Tyler cook walks away and I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what he said. So I'm not going to say it here, but he said something that I think is like, it's funny. It's not like a bad thing. Like I thought it was like really funny what he said, what I thought he said. Um, yeah, it was awesome. It was really, really interesting. But also it was interesting to see him just have to go up against like bulk and strength. And the the thing that also stands out to me is Perth really needs to not play as aggressively defensively. I think it's like kind of pushing Alex away from the rim and not allowing him to be as impactful as a rim protector. They still hard hedging every ball screen. Is it hard hedging? Not, not everyone. Not everyone, but a decent amount. And then on top of it, I think that like they just have them like pressuring so tightly. So like he was guarding Tyler Cook for minutes last game. And like all due respect to Tyler Cook, who was awesome in that game. Tyler Cook, if he wants to take a 15 footer, you should let Tyler Cook take a 15 footer. Absolutely. Yes. And because he was playing up so tight on him, Cook was able to drive him a couple of times. So yep. they just need to play like a little bit more conservatively, I think, defensively. And look, it's the second game. I think they'll figure that out. I, I really like John really is like, I think that he's a, just like a really great dude first and foremost. And then B um, runs really good stuff offensively and like comes into games with like a really good scheme offensively. I think that's just like a adjustment they're going to have to make is to play a little bit more conservatively defensively. And I think they'll do that. Uh, the big thing that came out of this game was Ben Henshaw. Uh, ben Henshaw dropped 24 in like 20 minutes, I think. Ben Ben is like a real prospect. Uh, he is competitive as shit. He is like completely fearless when he steps onto the court. He like did not play or like if he played, he played like a couple minutes in their first game against Tasmania. And then he just came in today and like because Ty Webster is hurt or came in yesterday and because Ty Webster's hurt, it was we got to go like we got to give Henshaw some minutes and he ran with it. He drilled like a three in rhythm like perfectly. He's constantly probing, attacking like he's cre- I keep saying this, but like he is creative in a way that a lot of Australian guards are not. Uh, he plays with bend like he's a little bit unpredictable in the way that you know, a lot of Australian guards are going to be upright and they're going to drive and they're going to do different things there. Ben Henshaw plays with bend and, you know, there's a threat of a pass. There's the threat of the shot. Like there's the threat from all three levels. Kind of, I think that I, I think Henshaw is a real NBA prospect, like, potentially in 2024, you know, is he the 45th overall pick or is he, you know, a late first round pick? I don't know, but there, there's something there for sure. Let me ask this because in my notes, and again, I haven't watched this game yet. You know, I, I noted the confidence and the attitude and the mentality, which I love, right? Like I, I think that stuff is super important. You telling that story about SAR 
and I'm people watching the video on YouTube saw me kind of light up. And if you don't like, I'm a huge Alex Star fan. He's, he's definitely my draft crush right now. And I know we haven't got to college season yet. And so there's not a whole lot of guys playing, but I have a feeling he's going to stay my crush throughout the, the draft process. I, I think that's, that stuff's important, Sam, that kind of confidence and that swagger and that attitude. And, and that stood, stood out with Hinshaw. How did the finishing around the rim go? Because in my notes I had from one of the games, I believe it was, Perth versus New Zealand in the blitz missed a wide open layup had a tough attempt versus contact did he get anything to the rim in this game where he had to you know either go to a floater or finish through contact or show some sort of finesse with a scoop or high glass you're talking Henshaw yeah yeah, he had a few of those. Yeah, okay. a few like interesting finishes around the basket. Did did a lot more like kind of drawing fouls. Okay. I thought in this game, uh, especially later in the game when he started to uh, get some, you know, real run. Yeah, no, it, it, there's there are a few things there. He's not a great finisher yet because he's just like thin and he's 19 years old playing in a pro league. But he had like one or two that I thought were pretty interesting. Like he very clearly has the mindset for it. I think so. And then we'll, we'll see. And then how was yeah. the defense? Because I in my notes again, defensive playmaking. Oh, they're, uh, he, they're so all over the map defensively that like <laughs> it's just not even worth. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I was more worried about like everything else that was happening defensively than schematically like, as a defense. total. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have they have some things to work on defensively right now, and it, it's. I, I'm going to want to watch it later in the season a lot more than I'm going to want to watch it now. I guess is what I would say. Um, real quick, who what ignite product outside of Holland and Buzelis have you either been most impressed by or are you most excited about, you know, here for the start of the season? Because we've seen them play what the two Ignite versus Perth. We saw them go play three games in the Intercontinental Cup. So you have Sane, Tyler Smith. Almansa, London Johnson. We haven't seen Darlin yet. Is there a it's, guy that you? Yeah, yeah it's it's Almansa. Um, okay. He just knows how to play. Uh, I've seen a lot of Tyler Smith excitement. I think Tyler is a really interesting offensive player. Like, there's. I'm excited to watch these Singapore games to see more of his defense. Maybe we'll go with. Uh, you and we'll, me both. We'll 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 say that. Uh, Tyler looks like Tyler's the guy that I think has probably helped himself the most so far, uh, and like helped his stock jump a little bit in the preseason, but I, I had him at 41 coming in and like, I, you know, I probably have him as like a late first rounder now. Um, I'm, I'm not, yeah, yeah. He's, um, Tyler, Tyler has helped himself while still acknowledging that there, there's a, there's a road ahead of him defensively. Yeah, I, and I think he's going to get there. Uh, I'm really excited to watch him. The jumper's just so pure, so smooth. Lefties just have that advantage in general. Like I just, I always wanted to be a lefty as a player because I just think the jumper <laughs> looks so like it, it's crazy, right? To to think that, but I just I hated that I wasn't a lefty because I just thought the lefty jumper looked so beautiful. I think we need to do an Almanza breakdown or segment yeah. sometime because. I was talking to Adam actually a couple days ago about this. We were talking about SAR and some different things. And I was like, I'm just not there on Almansa as a like top 10 guy. I don't see the huge ceiling. I don't, 
I don't see the top end stuff. I think a lot of other people do. And now I'm like starting to question myself and I've watched quite a bit of the ignite stuff. No, no, you're not wrong. Uh, I'm a bit more worried about Izzy than I was. I I think he is, uh, an interesting, highly intelligent, high IQ, big. Yeah. It's just like whether or not you want a big basically. Uh, and, and like what you think of this draft and how bad it is, which it's unfortunately not very good at the top. The, you you just got in the chat on this. So I was on a podcast the other day. Somebody asked me to make a comp for Alex Sar. Am I being lazy by using Chet right now, but not as developed offensively? That's where I went. Like I, I went with that archetype. So... Sar being Chet, just not as developed offensively. That's what I said. I think he's like Nick. I, I've said like Nick Claxton right okay. now is who he reminds me of. Because like Nick actually had some game. If you remember like watching him at Georgia, he had some ability to like bring the ball up the court and like could he, he took shots at least. And seeing Alex's jumper up close yesterday, I think it's going to take. Okay. So I think that's where you and I may disconnect. I'm believing in it a little more. So you had some questions after seeing it in person yesterday. It's going to be very fixable. I don't think it's going to hold. I don't think the numbers are going to hold up all year. Uh, He has like a side spin on the shot right now. And like the, the guide hand placement isn't always consistent either. It's yeah. It's interesting. He, 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 I think that, I think you'll, I think he'll be able to fix it. Like, I think it's a very fixable deal. Like he'll go to WME's pre-draft and it, it'll get taken care of, but there's still, a few, there are still a few things to work through with it. I would say. Yeah. And like, I thought Chet definitely had more grab and go passing that type of stuff, but yeah. just in terms of SAR being able I have consistently bought into his ability to space the floor with SAR. And so that's, I just wanted to make sure I was like, man, I don't want to be the guy that's just lazy with this stuff. And when I do comps, I try to make it easy for people. So like, just if they haven't seen him play to picture what it may be in their head. And so it's, I don't think it's lazy in that way, but I just wanted to make sure. Cause I think sometimes we're just like, Oh, seven footer that kind of plays on the perimeter defensive oriented. Oh, that's Chet Holmgren, you know? And so I wanted to ask you if you thought it was completely unfair. Yeah. It's going to be really fun to watch Alex, because the other thing that people like around the wildcats will tell you is that like, he has gotten better every single week that he's been there. Okay. Like, yes, the, the, the level of improvement has been very real for him. I thought his processing has noticeably been better and faster and quicker, even just transitioning from pass catch into a DHO next action, next action. And again, I didn't know if that was just my biases towards really hoping he pops because I'm so high on him or if it was really happening. I I did talk to somebody else in the space who felt the same way. So that's interesting to hear that they're feeling that progression as well. Yeah, they they just think he keeps getting better and better and better every single time that he steps on the court. So, uh, like where he was, I think he got there like you know two months ago, something like that. So something in that ballpark. It might be a little bit longer than that, but like 
since he's been there, he has gotten better every single thing, every single time, every single minute that he has been there. Uh, he just keeps improving and growing. So, uh, Sar, I think is the, the star we see at the end of the season is not going to be the star we see right now. Uh, and you can say that about all the draft prospects, of course, but the, the level to which he has improved is pretty rapid according to like the people around him. How about our guy Ulbrich the other day doesn't score and still impacts the game at a very yeah. high level. Lachlan Ulbrich. What a stud. Lucky Ulbrich. We're, we're all in. That's that's like the ultimate him game though. Like it just yeah. I saw the box score, no points, 10 rebounds, whatever, and I was like, I know he still impacted the game. I know he still had a huge impact on the game, even yeah. without I he had like one shot attempt, I think was it, but he's still working his butt off. He's always in the right position. Yeah. I know we I know we did the Ulbrich Love Fest last episode, but I just had to bring that up as well. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll probably end up talking about Lockie again at some point here, but Lockie was Lockie was quite good. And then for Illawarra, it's also worth noting that AJ Johnson's just like not in the rotation yep. right now. Uh he they played 12 and he was the 13th uh for Illawarra. So that remains to be seen what happens with AJ Johnson this year. He's just not like I said this on the podcast, I think like he just didn't look ready to play at the Blitz, and that's okay. Uh what he looks like in two months, like if he's able to carve out a role. I think it's going to be fine. Uh, and it's just worth pausing on evaluating him for now, I think. Yeah. I mean, like I say that there was some stuff that was interesting, but it, yeah, he, I think we talked about, it. he looked like a kid out there and that's, it's going to take some time. It'll be okay though. Yep. Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter with NBA stuff coming up, uh, media days, training camps, all that. It'll be a lot more piston stuff. That is the team I kind of started off covering, writing, doing video breakdowns about, but definitely in the NBA, NBA draft space now, draft digest for NBA draft content. And if you want to watch a Pistons centric podcast, the Pistons Pulse with my guy, Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Sam, as always, this is. I never want it to not be surreal. I told you this the first time you asked me on. I have game theory in my queue. And the first time you asked me on, it was surreal to be a guest. I think this is the fourth recording now with you. It's uh, I'm just as giddy about it as every as the first time. It's super fun, man. I'm glad that we're doing this. Uh, we will. I'll be back on Tuesday with Schindler. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those teams that lost out on the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, like Toronto, like Miami, like everything going on with some of those teams. We'll talk about you know, what the Clippers do with Drew Holiday. We'll talk without Drew Holiday. We'll talk about uh, kind of where the lay of the land settled for the teams that lost out on some of the trade targets and where they go from here. Uh, and then later in the week, I'll have some other stuff probably, uh, tomorrow at the athletic, I will have something on Malcolm Brogdon, like potential trade destinations and, you know, whether or not Portland should move Robert Williams. I'm not going to dive into like trade destinations. Cause I think there's a pretty good chance they keep him, even if I wouldn't. Um, but I'll kind of talk through why I think I would move him and yeah, that, that's all I've got until next time. We'll talk soon. Bye.